Well, <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello. I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to Second Kings chapter 2. So, we have been going through the story of Elijah, just the entire ministry of Elijah. We started in First Kings 17 when Elijah prophesied the drought after Ahab's wicked reign. And now, in Second Kings chapter 2, we're actually coming to the end of Elijah's ministry. And as we have just talked about, uh, this Sunday is the last time that I'm going to be teaching you guys on a Sunday. And this Wednesday is my last day in youth. So this was not planned at all, but I think it's very fitting that Elijah passing off his mantle to Elisha is also going to be the last Sunday message I teach right before I pass the mantle to Justin. So I'm pretty actually stoked about that. But I want to start, before we start going through 2 Kings chapter 2, I'm going to briefly read you guys a section in uh, 1 Kings 19, because this is not the first time that we're being introduced to Elisha. Now, Elijah, Elisha, poorly planned names, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm going to try to enunciate today. But in 1 Kings 19, this is after Elijah prophesies the drought. This is after Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal. And then after he does that, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And so he runs away to the mountains. And that's where we are. This is after God interacting with Elijah on the mountains when Elijah is feeling really, really discouraged. And in their conversation in verse 13, and when Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mehullah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And so, also God makes a note of the fact that there are 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So God's like, chill with your melodrama. But that's not what we're talking about today. But God specifically says, okay, Elisha is going to be the person who takes over for you as prophet. And at the end of the chapter in verse 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was, the tw- was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by, passed him by and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went to after Elijah and assisted him. So, from that point in Second in 1 Kings 19, during the time that Ahab is having wars with Syria, and God's providing for him there, during the time that Jezebel murders Naboth to take his vineyard, during the time that Ahab goes to war and gets killed, and during the time that Ahaziah, Ahab's son, was reigning in Israel, when Ahaziah sent uh, his men to go inquire of the prophet of, I think, Ekron, is that right? Yeah, Ekron. 
And then Elijah stops them on the way and says, go back to your master because he inquired of not God. He's going to die. Elisha was there with Elijah for all of that. So for this entire period of time, Elisha has been following Elijah and assisting Elijah in his ministry. All the while knowing, or at least Elijah knowing, that Elisha was the replacement. This is something I want to talk to you guys about briefly. Um, But I want to talk to you about Moses and Joshua. Because there's a similar circumstance there. And it's, I'm going to, I'm going to start talking to you about it, but then we're going to talk about why it's important. But in Exodus 24, 12 through 13, this is after Moses has received the 10 commandments, but before he's gone up on the mountain and had God write the 10 commandments on the tablet. So this is the first time that Moses is going up to the mountain to have God give him the law on the tablets. And the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. So Joshua was already Moses' servant at the point when Moses is getting the tablets and potentially before that as well. And if you haven't heard of some of the other things that Joshua did, Joshua was one of the spies that Moses sent into the land of Canaan. Joshua, after Israel refused to go in, God said, LOL, okay, you're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness and I'm going to kill all of you and let your kids go in. Joshua was wandering with Moses through all of that circumstance. So all the while that Moses has been ministering to and leading Israel for at least 40 years, Joshua was there with him, serving him. Joshua was there when God, when Moses received the tablets, he came back down the mountain with him. And God tells Moses in Numbers 27, when God is telling Moses, because you did not honor me before the Israelites, you yourself will not go into Israel, will not go into the promised land. God, so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man who in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him and make him take his stand before Eliezer, the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey him. So when God is having Moses make a replacement, it's someone that was there with Moses, ministering alongside Moses, under Moses, essentially being trained on the job, like an apprenticeship. And that's not the only place that happens. It's not just Elijah and Elisha. It's not just Moses and Joshua, but also Jesus did that. Jesus had 12 disciples that were with him for the entirety of his earthly ministry. And then those were the people that ran the church after he ascended. And Paul did that with Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul says, hey, you ministered with me. You have an example of how I ministered and now you need to follow it. But he doesn't stop there. A few verses later in 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So as Christians, we are supposed to be ministers, all of us. It's not just the pastor that stands in front of you on Sunday mornings. It's not just the missionary that goes to some other country somewhere else. If you are a Christian, your job is to evangelize the people around you and it is to serve in your church. 
You're supposed to be discipling other people. You're supposed to be doing things for the service of God's kingdom, both the people who are already saved and the ones who aren't. So all of you are already old enough to be participating in that, and all of you should be participating in that. But one of the things that is extraordinarily important is that as you minister, you need to understand that you will be replaced. None of us are immortal. None of us, even if we could live forever, are going to stay in the same place all the time. I know that in my own circumstance, I served in multiple capacities in youth group at my first church. I served in Awana in multiple capacities, as well as a few other places like VBS and a handful of others. I have, va- have entered and vacated dozens and dozens of ministry positions. And it's extraordinarily important that you're living with that in mind. That when you're doing ministry, that when you're caring for some portion of the church, or when you're evangelizing, that you're actually bringing someone along with you to help them do it better. So that when you're gone, either because God moves you, removes you, or kills you, that you have someone there who's able to take up the mantle. It's a very disappointing thing when you have a church that maybe the pastor has been pastoring that church for decades, and then when it's finally time for that pastor to leave, there is no one that he had been training to replace him. That is a sad state of affairs. And it happens, and sometimes it happens outside of the control of that pastor. Maybe he was training someone and God took him sooner than expected. Like, stuff happens. But that should never be the goal. And that's actually the pattern that you see, not just with Moses and Joshua, not just with Elijah and Elisha, but with Jesus and his disciples, with Paul and Timothy, and that is exactly the pattern that Paul then commands in the context of a church. You're not going to be the one who's doing the ministry forever, and you should be doing the ministry, and you should also be preparing someone else to replace you. And that is what Elijah was doing with Elisha. It didn't, you know, God didn't say, okay, Elisha is going to replace you, and then Elijah went, found Elisha, said, it's yours now, buddy, and then yeets on out. God says, okay, someone named Elisha is going to replace you, and then Elisha follows Elijah for, I don't know exactly how long, I'm guessing years, through the reign of two kings, the end of Ahab's and the entirety of Ahaziah's, (laughs) which was a pretty short reign, but you know. So Elisha has been following Elijah up to this point. And that's the context that you need as we go into 2 Kings chapter 2. But reading in chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, I love how that's just so casually in there. It's just like, oh yeah, roughly around the time that this was going to happen. Whatever. Okay. And Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And in verse 4, And then Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. 
So this is interesting. I don't actually know or have any specific ideas of why Elijah was telling Elisha to leave. But one thing that is convenient that this is demonstrating, it's demonstrating very clearly, one, that Elisha will not leave Elijah. That in the same way that Elisha is sticking close to Elijah now, the assumption is he's been sticking that close for the entire time that he's been with Elijah. Second thing, at this point, there's been the expectation that at some point, Elisha is going to take over for Elijah. But now, it's happening. All this thing that's been getting worked towards for however many years before this, it's happening. Elisha knows it, Elijah knows it, and Elisha is sticking with him. As long as Elijah is there to serve, Elisha is there to serve him. So, in verse 7, And then fifty of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they were both standing by the Jordan. And then, I'm actually going to stop before I read that next verse. So, the re- one of the reasons that I first talked to you about Moses and Joshua is that, first of all, Elijah, in my mind, holds a very similar space as Moses, both of them being prophets ministering to Israel. And even though Moses was the one leading Israel and Elijah was the one who was like railing against Israel's bad kings, Elijah and Moses hold very similar spots in my mind. And even in the transfiguration, when like Jesus goes up on a mountain and then he brings Peter, James, and John with him, and then he demonstrates his glory, the people who appear next to him are Moses and Elijah. Both of them are very significant prophets. And they go to the Jordan. Now, real quick, what is one of the most famous things that Moses did? Like if you ask some non-Christian what Moses did, what are they going to be like, this is the miracle that Moses did? That's right. Most people associate Moses with splitting the Red Sea. Does anyone know the first miracle that God did with Joshua? You're close. You're very close. They actually put the 12 stones down after they crossed the river. But yeah, does anyone happen to know what the river was? The Jordan. The Jordan. And where are Elijah and Elisha right now? The Jordan. Jordan. That's right. So when Moses transitioned his authority to Joshua, in Joshua chapter 3, I'm not going to read it, but in Joshua chapter 3, God tells Joshua, I'm going to demonstrate to all of Israel that I am with you as I was with uh, Moses, so I'm going to split the Jordan before you. That miracle that Moses is so well known for Joshua has his own little miniature version of it. He splits the Jordan, and then Israel crosses over the Jordan, and then they start conquering Canaan like bosses. So after that, now we're looking at Elijah and Elisha. They're at the Jordan, and now continue reading in verse 8. And then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on the dry ground. What did Elijah just do? Literally the exact same miracle that Joshua did the first time that God gave him authority. He splits the Jordan. And the thing that's significant about this, the reason I'm making such a big deal about this, Elijah and Elisha, do you think that they know the story of Moses and Joshua pretty well? Elijah knows what happened at the Jordan. He's going to an historically significant place. 
This is the place where the Israelites crossed over, started conquering, split the water. This is a historically significant place, and it's the first place where the authority of Joshua was established. And Elijah is going to that place to give his authority to Elisha. I just think that's cool. It's like going to a, a significant place to do that. That's just nifty. It's like it kind of adds some nice gravitas to the transition. And I think it's a cool detail for God to kind of work in there. Okay, so then after verse 8, and then they crossed over in verse 9, and when they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And so here's the significant thing about that. What is the thing that was powering Elijah's ministry? What do you think? God. And in fact, it talks about, Elisha says, let the spirit that is on you, let me have a double portion of it. In the same way, a similar thing was said about Joshua. He is a man in whom was the spirit of God. Moses was another man who had the spirit of God. Real quick. This is a bit different. In the Old Testament, this was not the case. But what is now the case in the New Testament that if you are a Christian, you have? The Holy Spirit. So that's an extraordinarily rare thing in the Old Testament. That is not a normal thing. The people who had the Spirit in the Old Testament were prophets and some kings. In the New Testament, all of us have it. That's insane. Like, just think about that. Uh, an Old Testament believer would love to be where you are and have the thing that you have. But you have the Spirit. The thing that was empowering Elijah's ministry, Elisha recognizes the thing that was powering your ministry is outside of you, and I want it. For us, we need to understand, I'm talking to you guys because you should be doing ministry. When you're doing ministry, when you're serving in the church, you need to understand the thing that empowers my ministry is my spirit, or I should say is the Holy Spirit in me. So Elisha, after having followed Elijah, he recognizes that. Okay, and then in verse 11, And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Let's just, let's just sit on that for a moment. Chariots of fire, horses of fire, drop down between Elijah and Elisha, and then just bring him on up to heaven. Yeah, like, baller. Okay, so first of all, what do we know? Elijah just said, if you see me taken up, what are you going to get? Close. What did Elisha ask for? It's in the verse for you. It's in verse uh, 9. What did Elisha ask for? Verse 9. A double portion of Elijah's spirit. And what did Elijah say was going to be the condition of him getting it in verse 10? Someone who isn't Adelaide. If you don't have a Bible open in front of you, that might be why you don't know the answer to this question. Verse 10, what needs to happen before Elisha gets what he asked for? Elijah says, if you see me get taken up, then your request will be granted. So, did Elisha just see Elijah be taken up? If you need the verse for that, <laughs> that's in verse 11. <laughs> Yeah. So what does that mean Elisha's going to get? 
a double portion of Elijah's spirit. That's right. Okay, and then in verse 12, and Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the, uh, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. So Elijah is gone, hard cut off, gone. And then in verse 14, sorry, uh, continuing in verse 12, and then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Have any of you guys ever heard the phrase, he took up his mantle? Like taking up the mantle of his father, taking up the mantle of his, the previous person. Do you guys know what that means? To take up someone's mantle? Like what does that mean when we say it? Doesn't it mean like following their legacy? Yeah, following their legacy, taking their place. Yeah, 100%. You're their successor. This story, a mantle is a really old English word for like a cloak. So this story we're reading right now is the origin of that phrase. Like whenever you say, oh, he took up his mantle, you're actually referring Elijah and Elisha. Like this is where that comes from. Very cool stuff. Anyways, uh, and he took up the cloak, uh, and then 14, and then he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the waters, and he struck the waters. So this is, this is great. Um, Elisha just watched Elijah take his cloak, hit the waters, and have them split. And then the first thing that he tries to do is he takes his cloak and he's like, well, okay, I want to take this baby for a ride. He takes his cloak, he hits the waters, and nothing happens. So this is significant. And I'm actually going to read you a verse from this. Uh, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, and he's writing to him about how to run a church, he's, he's writing to him essentially about how to minister. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There's another section of verses out of uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 that I'm not going to read you, but it just demonstrates Paul's reliance on the spirit for his own ministry. When you guys are serving, you need to understand the power of what you do isn't from you. It's from the spirit in you. So Elisha, he takes up his cloak, he hits the water, nothing happens. And then... After that, he says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And then he struck the water, and then the water parted. So he strikes the water, nothing happens. And then he says, okay, where is the Lord? Strikes the water, it splits. I think that's great. <laughs> like, because I can just imagine God, like, sitting up in heaven, watching Elijah give his cloak to Elisha, and then seeing Elisha think, oh, I, I, I'm going to use this gift, and God being like, LOL, not without me. <laughs> It's like, and then Elisha's like, okay, God, help me. And then he does it. And then God's like, there we go. Just like a little brief reminder. It's like, just so you know, this isn't yours. <laughs> you need me for it. And then it was parted to one side and the other, and Elisha went over. So in the same way that Moses parted the Red Sea, and then God demonstrated that Joshua was Moses' successor by having him part the Jordan, Elijah parts the Jordan, the same place where that rough succession takes place, and then Elisha parts the Jordan while 50 prophets from Jericho were watching. So God clearly demonstrates, just like Elijah was my prophet, Elisha is my prophet. And all of the respect and honor that you owed Elijah, you owe Elisha now. So after that, Elisha demonstrates that he has the same spirit that Elijah has by doing the same miracle and crossing over. And then in verse 15, now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men. 
Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. So, where is Elijah? If you've been tracking with the story, where is Elijah? What? On the other side of the Jordan? No. Where is Elijah? Bingo. So Elijah is in heaven. Yeah. So Elijah has been caught up to heaven and all of these prophets are like, oh no, what if God chucked him somewhere? So Elisha knows, yeah, no, he's not, he has not been dropped somewhere, but the prophets are like, well, just let us check though. So he says, you shall not send. Uh, And then they, and he said, you shall not send, but they urged him until he was ashamed. And he said, fine, send. And then they sent therefore 50 men. And for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? So this is pretty significant. All of these prophets have observed the transition of power from Elijah to Elisha. They saw the commensurate miracle and they've gone around and they verified Elijah is nowhere to be found. It's not just Elisha going out and telling Israel these things. You have 50 prophets who searched and searched, couldn't find him, all of Israel has other witnesses to verify, okay, yeah, Elisha's the guy. Pretty, pretty important. And then verse 19, and then the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. And he said to them, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And then he went to the spring of water and threw some salt in it. And he said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. And from now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. So first thing, Elisha does the showy miracle. And then all those prophets understand, okay, Elisha is the one who's got God's power. And they say, Elisha, we've got problems. We've got bad water. Can you solve it? And Elisha says, yes, I can. And so Elisha is now the one doing God's work in the people of Israel. And it works. Pretty significant. Elisha is caring for the people of Israel. He has the power to care for the people of Israel. And it persists even until the time that 2 Kings is being written. So that's pretty significant. Next thing, verse 23. You have the fact that Elisha can dispense good and good miracles to people. Here's the other side of that coin. Verse 23. And he went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him. And they said, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Here's that fun little Bible trivia for you. If anyone asks you which prophet in the Bible was bald, Elisha. And what does Elisha do about it? Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. Very pleasant. <laughs> that, that is one of the funnier stories in the, in the Bible. Like... <laughs> Maybe it's not great that I'm laughing at 42 kids just getting ripped to shreds, but like, dude, (laughs) which I'm just going to kind of throw this out there too. The ministry of Elisha has some of the funniest things that happen in the Bible. Like a lot of the things that Elisha does are just so dang random. Like there's a later story where Elisha is out with a bunch of people and they're like chopping down wood. And one of the dudes has an ax and you guys know how an ax is like a piece of wood with an ax head on it. 
Well, so this guy is chopping with the axe, and the axe head flies off the axe into some water, and then the dude comes to Elisha, and he's like, Nah, my lord, it was borrowed. That's someone else's axe head. What am I going to do? And so Elisha walks over to the lake where the axe head is sunk, and he's just like, Praise. And then the axe head floats to the surface of the water so the guy can grab the axe head, put it back on, and like go about his business. But this, the miracles that Elisha does are so dang random. And they're like little fun little random miracles. I think it's hilarious. 10 out of 10 would recommend reading the ministry of Elisha. It's pretty funny. Yes. So wait. So yep. 42 kids were killed. Yep. Does it say like what like the parents or like people around reacted? I'm going to guess that they were pretty mortified. It doesn't specifically talk about their reaction. Unless but they were, Unless they were like maybe hopefully believed in God and they were like, you did this for that time. Oh, well. So I will talk to you guys about this. I'm over here laughing about a bunch of kids getting killed by she-bears, but I should tell you why that's included. Yeah. How many kids survived? Uh, the rest. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. How many kids were there? It doesn't say how many kids were there. It just says that 42 of them got tore apart. Oh, okay. 42 so of them were innocent. With his yep. boy, so no girls were killed. Um, I, um, okay. So... <laughs> So, I mean, I will throw this out. What? Did you say, what did you say? I don't think girls would be allowed to go outside. I mean, like, they weren't allowed to go where they were into a forest to chase some bald... No, 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 the, the, the bears came out of the forest. They came out of the city. Um, I don't know. So, in, so this is potentially helpful. In Hebrew, when you're referring to a group of people, and that group of people is a mixed group, you use the masculine word. So, even though it says boys... Uh, let me think about this. I'd have to check on the specific word and see if it's like, yeah. But anyways, but it actually might have been a mixed group. We don't know for sure. I'm happy to assume that it was boys though. Anyways, so here's why that's included in there. We talked recently about some of the stories of Elijah. And one of the things that happened to Elijah was that after he talked to the people that Ahaziah had sent to the God of Ekron to be like, yo, am I going to die? Am I going to live? What's the deal? And he sends them back. Ahaziah sends those groups of 50 to go get Elijah, essentially to arrest him. So the first group of 50 comes, and then Elijah, what, what happens to that group of 50 that, that came to capture Elijah? Uh, they, they were never seen again. Why? Because what happened? They were, they were uh, eliminated by God. How? Does anyone specifically know? This is like your yes, review session of a couple was, weeks ago. Uh, I think, I don't remember exactly, but it was like uh, fire. Very, very hot fire. Bingo. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the 50. And then another group of 50 comes and the commander says, Elijah, you get over here. And Elijah's like, oh yeah? And another group of fire comes down and it burns them all alive. And then the third group of 50, what did that guy do differently? Who remembers? He repented. Uh, not quite. Caleb? Humble. Thank you. Okay, yeah, yep. That, yeah, so the third guy, he comes over and he falls on his face before Elijah and he says, please let us live. Let the lives of your servants be precious in your sight. And Elijah, and then God's like, go with them. So when you are a prophet of God, you are owed respect. <laughs> because the person who speaks for God, you owe that person respect because they are God's representative. For example, if an ambassador of the United States goes over to Japan, I'm just randomly picking a country. We'll say Japan. If an ambassador of the United States goes over to Japan and then Japan just like takes him, tortures him alive, and strings him up on live television, laughing as they do it, 
What do you think might happen? The U.S. is going to attack Japan. The U.S. would attack Japan. Why? Because he represents all of the U.S. He's the person. Yeah. Yeah. Because that ambassador is the representative of the United States. What you do to that ambassador, you are by proxy doing to the person they represent. So when you have a prophet and that prophet is serving, what you do to that prophet by proxy, you are doing to God. And Paul actually talks about that in the New Testament. Oh man, this is coming to mind right now. I didn't actually search up this passage beforehand, so I'm going to completely misquote it. But Paul talks to believers in the New Testament and he essentially says, when people persecute you, they, God will be righteous to punish them for doing so. Like, as Christians, we represent God in the world. The way that you treat God's representatives is significant. So Elisha is God's representative in Israel. He is there to give the word of God to people in Israel. And so when a bunch of people come out and they start jeering at and making fun of Elisha, who were they making fun of? God. God. And so God um, demonstrates, this is my prophet. He is the successor of Elijah. I'm going to split the water before him to demonstrate that. And he is going to be the one through whom I do kind acts of miracles to you. If you want my help, you inquire of Elisha and he'll solve your spring problems. And if you insult Elisha, you're insulting me and I will respond appropriately. Like slaughtering 42 of you with she bears. So the way that you treat God matters and the way that you treat God's proxy matters. But we've read that story. And here are the things that I think are significant for you to be learning from that. I said that I want you guys to be doing ministry, right? You should be serving in the church. You need to understand two things. One, you are not the one who accomplishes the ministry you do. Elijah was not performing miracles by his own power. Elisha was not performing miracles by his own power. Elisha gets Elijah's mantle and he thinks, let's take this sucker for a ride and then does nothing. And then God says, and then he prays to God, does it again, and then it works. God's demonstrating, I'm the one who fuels your ministry. So it's important that you understand that. You are not the one who accomplishes your ministry. You need to act in reliance on God because God's the one who makes it fruitful. Here's the second thing. You are replaceable. You are very, very replaceable. God has been doing ministry long before you were born. God will continue doing ministry long after you're gone. And even while you're here, God is going to replace you as you move from one place to another. And you need to be okay with that. Elijah was training Elisha. He wasn't like some king who kills his own kids because he doesn't want challenges for the throne. Elijah was actually okay with Elisha taking over for him. Paul wasn't not training anyone else to share the gospel or minister because he wanted to have the limelight. No, he was training Timothy. He was training Titus. He was training others and he was ministering alongside them. Jesus wasn't trying to keep all the glory. That's a bad example. Jesus is keeping the glory for himself, but in a different way. Jesus was not trying to be the only person who ministered. He was trying to equip others to minister on his behalf. And so we cannot be iron gripping the positions that God gives us. The church and your ministry is not a place for you to show off and be important. Which, since there is a specific example happening right before your eyes, I should not be coming to a youth ministry and be thinking, man, this is my opportunity to look good. This is my opportunity to two times a week wax eloquent about the Bible and show off how smart I am. 
I should not think that I am able to do youth ministry in my own power. I should not think that the fruitfulness that comes from this is going to be coming from my own abilities. I need to be in prayer. I need to be relying on God. And when God decides it's time for me to move on, I need to be okay with that. I need to be okay with the fact that there is fruitful ministry that is going to take place in this church once I'm gone. And even right now, I have had the opportunity to minister with Justin for like over a year now, I think. And now to have him coming in and replacing me and taking over the youth ministry, and I get to know and be happy about the fact that if it were better for you for me to be here, I would be here. The fact that God is moving me out and moving someone else in, God is sovereign and God loves you. And that means that if it were better for you for me to be here, God would leave me here. And the reason that God is moving me out is because whatever it is you need in the next season, God knows that Justin is going to do that better than I would have. And that's why he's having Justin replace me. And so I, if I was some, well, if I was trying to hold on to my little kingdom, if I was trying to make this about me and have it be my fruitful ministry, I will not be able to transition well. I will not be able to encourage Justin. I will not be able to be happy for Justin. And I won't be able to do this in a way that is helpful for you guys. And for you, when you're in ministry positions, wherever that is, you need to be content with the fact that God will move you out at any point. No matter how gifted you are, God doesn't need you. Here's the other one. You need to minister faithfully. All of us are in the church because we have work to do. And if you think that you're accomplishing your work and if you're making it about you, you will not minister as effectively as you're supposed to because you won't be relying on God to do it. And you will think that you are more important than you actually are. You will not be able to leave well. But when you understand that it is the spirit of God that enables you to do ministry, one, that's going to cause you to minister faithfully, relying on God. And two, it's going to allow you to leave humbly, knowing that your ministry will be continued by someone else with the Spirit of God. So, I'm really hoping that in the future seasons that a lot of good things happen here, even if I won't be here to see them. I've been extraordinarily grateful for the time that I've had with you guys. I've been extraordinarily grateful for the growth that I've seen among different people. We've all seen people come in. We've seen people leave. And it's been awesome. It's been a fun ride the entire time. But I am genuinely excited for what God is going to do in this youth ministry after I'm gone. And it's not going to be worse without me. It's going to be better without me. And I hope that you guys feel that way because I feel that way. And I'm really excited about what God has in store for you. So I'm passing the mantle. Justin's taking up the mantle. And in both cases, the exact same person is going to be empowering this ministry. Justin's a man with the spirit, just like I was a man with the spirit. And God is the one who's going to work in this youth group with or without me. So with that, let's bow our heads. Let's pray it out. Lord, thank you for stories like Elijah and Elisha. Thank you that you show us and you model for us the way that you want ministry transitions to take place, that we're supposed to raise up the people who would come after us, that we're supposed to minister in the power of your spirit, and that, Lord, we are supposed to humbly lay our positions aside because we aren't here for our own glory. We aren't here for our own effectiveness. We are here to serve you and to serve you well. And Lord, if you would have me serve you somewhere else and you would have Justin serve you here, I will not take hold of my position, but I will be glad for the way that you are using Justin 
And Lord, I pray that that same attitude would exist in all of our students. I pray that you would help each of us to serve wherever you would have us serve, that we would serve well in that place for as long as you have us there, and then that we would humbly give it up when you have someone else come to replace us. Lord, help us to trust you in all of that and help us to love your work in all of that. Amen.